Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. And don't forget, if you are about to raise a fund or an international round, do let us know, and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors. Today, we're happy to welcome you to Julius Bachmann, coach to venture-backed founders all across Europe. Julius is a former VC and great friend to have in the ecosystem. You'll hear that Julius first didn't want to do an episode with us, but then something happened and he felt he had to come on to share his views. So stay pilled to hear what it is. Want to be on top of who the best up and coming emerging VCs in Europe are and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know. Julius, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us. How's everything? Thank you very much for the invite. Yeah, it's very good. We're now heading into the grim time of year here in Berlin, but it's been a very good year, I have to say that. Awesome. Julius, I'm going to start by give a quick intro here because you're not necessarily the typical guest we have on the European VC. And I think it's up to us to give that context. And then I'd love you to also share with the audience. Basically, Julius is a past VC, has experience working in VC, and is also an incredibly successful executive coach to VC-backed founders. And I think just this year, and then Julius will probably correct this number, he's been coaching roughly like 70 founders or so around Europe. And he's quite well spoken in the VC community and contributes to some interesting uh, media outlets and is kind of playing the game of really helping founders. So with that intro, Julius, I'd love for you to give a quick rundown of, you know, what brought you to today? First of all, thank you very much for the invitation. I mean, we've been in touch before and I'm listening to your podcast. And I also shared with you which podcast guests I most fear. So I think the story that, that brought me here was a story of like um, successive observations about like what's not quite working in the venture industry or in the venture community in Europe. So as you already noted, I started my career in venture in London and then came to Berlin and continued my venture career there. Even in the early days when I was sitting in board meetings, I was like, this is interesting. We have five investors around the table and at least eight big opinions. And then we have a founder or a team of founders, and I can't really see who's actually helping them integrate all of those opinions. After a couple of years in venture, I left the industry. I left the function of investing, and I moved over to the operating side with a string of CFO roles, mostly in Berlin. And there I had the observation of the people, the founders that I worked with, resonating the most with what I did when I simply just listened to them, not when I told them about like you know, financial statements and fundraising and all the things that the CFO would do, but just like sitting down and being present with them. So all of those kind of observations led to the dawning of maybe there is a role for a coach. And I had started to work with a coach by that time. And so I already knew what it felt like and how powerful it can be. So I took a one year kind of foundation course 
And in the same time, one afternoon, I just said, okay, so let's try that out. LinkedIn post and asked if any founders would be willing to just try this out with me. I would be their coach for just a number of weeks so I can get some training rounds in. This was on a Saturday afternoon, I think like 5 p.m. So not quite the best time to post on LinkedIn if you're familiar with the algorithm. But by Sunday at 4 p.m., I had 25 replies saying, I would love to do that. And I was like, okay, hmm, there might be a market here that could be an actually interesting thing to do. And fast forward a couple of years now, that's what I do. And as you said, I think 70 founders for the year of 2021 is probably correct. There are a lot of founders who are looking for kind of a third party to talk to that doesn't have to be necessarily a coach. I happen to be a coach. Yeah, and that's where I am today. I still do angel investing. I work with a number of funds as like an associated community member or scout or friend. And yeah, that's the portfolio as it stands right now. I think it's important to say that in the beginning when David and I said, Julius, why don't you join us on the European VC? You actually said no. You said, nah, I don't think that that's where I want to be. I, I shouldn't do that. Then some months went by and then you actually came back and said, guys, there's something that I need to get off my chest. There's something I need to talk about. I'd love to just uh, you share with the audience, why did you then end up coming on the show? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, when you first reached out, I think that was on a different topic. It's an interesting topic. And if you want to, we can briefly speak about that as well. But I was really increasingly annoyed with was this VC meme of let me know how I can be helpful. It's repeating itself over and over and over again, and every VC listening to the show will know. But it has an invisible toll, and I see the other side of that, right? So I see founders coming to me and saying that all of them want to be helpful, but they're really not. But now we have to give them something to be helpful, and it's stressing us out, right? So we need to actively manage our board so they can feel like they're helpful, but then and everyone's making fun about it because everyone kind of knows it's weird. But that was when I said, can we have a discussion about this? I want to be helpful and let's unpack this. And for sure, that's exactly what we wanted as well. So that is perfect. But maybe just to uh, broaden the understanding of the audience here, mm. could you speak a bit to both the situations that your founders come to you with? But also maybe just characterize the founders because it's not pre-seed founders, many of them. It's series A, B, and so on. For sure. I mean, actually, the spread has become pretty large. I now work with founders that have between 15 and 500 employees. So in terms of financing rounds, that would probably be somewhere between either a progressed pre-seed or seed up to a series C, maybe. And you're right, many of them are more towards the 50 or 100 employee mark. I work with the founders individually, and as a founding team, I don't do big 21-people management rounds. And when they reach out, they typically have a host of topics that they want to discuss. And over, let's say, two, three, four months, we'll work through the ones that are most impactful. I try to actually limit the work to the stuff that is really, really valuable to them and then let it rest. And when my clients feel like they have something that's really valuable to them, again, then they come back and they do another two months or so. And so what could that be? I'm overwhelmed. There's so much flying at me. 
and I need someone to help me basically just process all of that. I have relationship issues with my co-founder, investors, key executives, some other stakeholders that are close to the company, or I have key decisions to make. Key decisions relate to the fate of the company or maybe my role in the company. And those are typical topics. And when we speak about how can I be helpful, and that comes out of the mouth of the VC, that's certainly a relationship issue. And that's what I hear very often that founders reach out to me and say, look, I have great investors. And most of the time they are very helpful. But the problem is some of the topics that I need to discuss, I cannot discuss with my investors because they are my investors. And they, rightfully so, are aligned with the success of the company. But if I'm trying to figure out my own personal topics and how I relate to the company, I would prefer to do that with someone who is not basically has their chips on the company. Yeah, exactly. Could you deepen exactly what the situation is for the founders? So what do they feel? What do they do? How do they go about solving the situation with VCs? Because, of course, we have many VCs listening in here. And mm -hmm. how do they notice that this is, this is actually the founder saying, no, thank you? <laughs> Maybe we want to briefly step into this, like, how can I be helpful and look at it for a second? Even though the market is like flooded with cash, or maybe exactly because the market is flooded with cash, we all, and I'm just counting us as investors, when we want to get into a deal, we're trying to signal in some form that it's not only the money that we're getting. So we're trying to position us. And that's normal. And then after the deal, we're trying to validate what we promised. And so I want to be helpful when it comes in a board meeting or somewhere in an exchange, there is an implicit power dynamic still because the power dynamic between VC and entrepreneur, even though it's 2021 and at the top end, maybe entrepreneurs have more leverage, there's still a power dynamic between the VC and the entrepreneur, right? That puts the entrepreneur into the position of having to answer, well, let me think about who you are and how you could be helpful but that's putting the job to the entrepreneur, and it's not asking, you know, what does the entrepreneur need, but it's putting the onus to the entrepreneur to think about what the VC can do that could remotely be helpful for the company. That's like thinking around four corners here. The most complicated word in the I want to be helpful is the I, because once it comes out of an investor's mouth, the I is wrapping up. How can I, in the interest of my fund, in the interest of my ego, in the interest of status and competition, as I'm comparing myself to other VCs that may be sitting around the boardroom table, how can I be helpful? And all of that ego and status and competition and the interest of my fund to appear very helpful so that we can get the lion's share next round if we want to, that's all in there. But many are just not aware that that's happening. And so that's the annoying overtone of I want to be helpful. It is more about the I than it is about the helpful. And you hear it in my voice now. That's where I am really getting annoyed because then I get a call from my clients saying, I have six helpful VCs and I really need your help. <laughs> <laughs> and it could be so simple, right? It could be investors who actually understand. And I think that's the way out. 
if investors understand the parts ego, the parts kind of competition with other VCs, the parts of like positioning their fund for the next round, if they can take apart the I and the I want to be helpful and see where that's driven from, then the second step is can they understand how they are uniquely positioned to deliver best-in-class value? Not just any value. Let's say you've built a, let's take a German example. We have a lot of VCs who come from the e-commerce world and with an e-commerce past, right? And so let's say they've built a commerce company. Then what's their expertise in building an R&D department in a deep tech company? It's probably not huge, but then let's talk about marketing. Let's talk about logistics. That is very likely best in class value that they can deliver and that they are uniquely positioned to her, right? And so it can be super niche, but then they can be actually helpful and they can really make a difference. I think there, it really also doesn't matter if you're an angel investor or if you are a big kind of serious A plus ABC fund with a lot of individuals on your investment team, because that is uniquely about you. And that sets you apart. And this is also, you know, where the partners matter when it gets to positioning your VC fund, right? Because it's about the people, the individuals that can help. But I think many of the investors are just lying to themselves. They're not best in class in every function, but they really want to help because they really want to position themselves. Do you um, or have you noticed like any types of trends or distributions in terms of, you know, that behavior across different geographies or that behavior across different types of funds? Uh, maybe let me specify that like more established, less established, more niche, more generalistic. Could you put any words into that? It's interesting because I thought about this this morning as I was thinking about the podcast. I was like, the solo GPs that I talked to, the emerging managers, they don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. I think, one, because many of them are coming nowadays out of a very specific niche. I listened to your episode, or the two episodes with Artan, and they only do local markets, right? Um, so they're very specific. And in being very specific, they don't claim to be experts on like the market in Paris or um, how to build protein for vegan milk in the lab. So that's one. I think then there's a new trend of big money, high velocity and stepping back. Um, so if you see a Tiger Global, they don't ask, how can we be helpful? They can ask, what's the valuation kind of corridor required for us to make this deal work for us and required for you to say yes to our term sheet? But that's basically the only interaction that, that, that takes place. And then they step back. They won't even take a board position. right? And so, so where I see most of that behavior, this kind of unreflected, I want to be helpful um, behavior, which is oftentimes well-intentioned, right, is in kind of the older funds and even there it's often younger investors that are not quite as um, experienced that are not quite as busy as well because they know if they they can actually offer help they can actually like put their hours to to the portfolio companies i mean it's happening all over the world um but I do see that the American ecosystem is a bit more progressed 
um, here just because the, let's say, the diversification of different VC models, and I just spoke about kind of the high-velocity, big-ticket investors and the niche um, emerging managers, it's much more pronounced over there. And what about if I, if I turn it around and I ask you, what about the profile of the founders that reach out to you? Are they more pedigree founders? Are they more first-time founders? I'm curious to know because, because my feeling is that on, on the one hand, pedigree founders might be less looking for help in some cases. <laughs> but then on the other hand, first-time founders may be looking for help but might feel even more overwhelmed. So I'm just curious to hear your thoughts there. It's very interesting that you asked that because going into uh, my coaching journey, I thought I'd be mostly working with early stage, first-time founders, right? Exactly following your argument. Um, and then very quickly, one of my first clients was a serial entrepreneur who said, look, Julius, um, the, this time around, I don't need to build this company. My previous exit has supplied me with enough beep money to not have to work again. I could just be happily ever after angel investing and do that, but I'm too hungry to do that. And this time around, I am surely going to make mistakes, and those will be different mistakes than the one I did the first time, even though the first time was successful. Yeah. And I want someone who I can basically debug my approach with and spar on that. So it's either serial, you call them pedigree founders, serial entrepreneurs, pedigree founders who are self-aware enough to say, I've done this before. And I still don't know what I'm doing or first time founders who say I'm doing this for the first time and it would be really helpful to have someone along the road. And for both of them, the main function that I hold is to hold the space to actually have these kind of discussions that are about learning and reflection and insight and growth, because in the midst of the craziness of building a company, but I think to your listenership, just as well as building a fund, I coached, I mean, much fewer VCs than I coach founders, but um, there is so much going on and it is very hard to step back and, you know, breathe deeply and say, here is something that I really need to figure out to be really, really successful at what I do. And I need to take some time to do that. Um, and so it's both. I'd love to double click on what you just said about the few, very few mm -hmm. <laughs> VCs you've worked with or you've coached. I'd love to know what have you seen there? Was it basically just applying the same kind of concept that what you're doing with founders or, or are there different challenges? I'd love to hear you talk a bit about that. So first of all, just the toolkit of coaching remains the same because the toolkit of coaching is independent of what the subject matter is, right? And it's quite refreshing for me to coach people who are outside of my standard client and the standard client is a founder for sure um so it's quite refreshing to work with vcs uh, but also to work with private individuals who maybe are looking for what's next in their life but to answer more specifically to your question it certainly is the question about relationships and potential conflicts or if you're a bit more proactive the question of how can we configure our relationship our um, co-founding relationship in a way that brings um, the best in everyone out. Let's say you're setting up a new fund. And how can we make sure that we have space to actually think about what we're contributing and, and how we're showing up in our, in our work? So that's one. I mean, certainly 
especially now for the solo GPs, right, the emerging solo GPs, overwhelm is real. It's real, and it's real for a long time. If we think about the the kind of setups that they're starting with, the fund sizes that they normally start with that don't cover enough management fee to pay the bills. And then there is like this advisory project that they have maybe with their anchor LP or some other client and then uh, the whole kind of logistics of building a fund. And I don't want to say that I'm a professional or expert in building a fund. I've never raised a fund by myself. Right. But that's not the point. Right. The point for me is not to be an advisor and tell them how to do that. The point um, of my work is to help them deal with the overwhelm. So that's that. And then I think it's also specifically in VC and even more in VC than in building companies. Mm-hmm. It's thinking about kind of the intention and aspirations um, that are baked into the structure of the fund. And I'm saying that because VC has a much longer feedback cycle. Who am I talking to? Of course, you all know that. But VC has a much longer feedback cycle um, than the companies uh, that they're building, even though, yes, you'll know after seven, 10 years of the company IPOs or not. But you can run many more experiments building a company than you can as a VC. And so the investors I work with, they are asking, so how can we design our strategy? How can we be very deliberate about our strategy and what we want in the strategy? Because we know we're committing long-term once we start deploying the fund. Then there's also a couple of career VCs who come to me and say, I'm not entirely happy in the fund that I'm in. How can I position myself within the fund? What's the best way to leave this fund? What's the best way to join another fund? Stuff like that. That's not typical for VCs. It's career coaching, if you could say so. Yeah. But yeah, so here, those are the, the, the few things that I can say about coaching VCs. Yeah. What does a coaching session with Julius look like? I start out with, and I'm going to take you through a typical kind of engagement that lasts three months. I yeah. always set a three-month timer on our engagements just because the momentum of the first outreach, it decays over time. And so um, I want to encourage my clients to bring the most important topics in. Of course, they'll prioritize the stuff that's most important. And over time, the topics get less important. But the time is expensive, right? You'll you'll invest an hour um, every week or like two hours every second week or whatever it is, right? But you invest significant amounts of time into that process. And I really want to make sure that um, that my clients are only investing that kind of time on and money, of course, on stuff that really, really matters to them. So that's number one. It typically takes three months or maybe four months. They can obviously also leave before. That's totally up to And then I will start out. I'll have a session just after we uh, we hang up. I'll start out with a two-part kickoff. The first part of the kickoff is tell me about all of the issues that you would like to bring into the space. And we'll, for about 90 minutes, we'll explore all of that interconnected, interwoven topics and problems, how they relate, and specifically also how they cause each other. 
And we do that in order to find out where there is the most leverage, right? So if there is a chain of causation, then we can go right to the first trigger. And we work on the first trigger because that, that might remove all of the symptoms down the line. So that's one. And then the second part of the kickoff, which tends to be another 60 to 90 minutes, is that I've been blessed with working with a lot of founders over the last couple of years. I try to distill and continue to distill the essence of what I work on with them into a relatively simple framework. And so I ask them questions around that framework. I don't want to dictate any topics because who am I to say you have to look at this and you have to look at that? I very rarely do that. But I do want to help them uncover blind spots uh, in building their companies, right? And also in their personal development. And so I ask about personally the intentions that they have for their team as it unfolds over the lifespan of the company and the intentions they have for their business and how those plans actually align over time. I recently became a parent and I have had a number of um, team conflicts now that relate to parental leave and how how are we going to do things? We're overwhelmed already. Now you're leaving. And it's a reality. A lot of the entrepreneurs and a lot of the emerging managers are young professionals uh, in their 20s, 30s, um, who also think about starting a family. Um, and as we're moving into more modern times, who also have other ambitions for their life than just their work and who might want to do something else than just, you know, deploy the next 75 million. And so this is in intentions. That's the first bucket, right? So how do my personal intentions, the intentions for how my team is going to unfold and the business's intentions align and how can they be in resonance and harmony? The second one is um, figuring out how they can not only survive over that time frame, but how they can sustain and then even more so how can they thrive over that time frame. So let's say you're telling me you want to build a fund and it's a 10 plus 2 cycle, so you're committed for quite a long time. And if you're already in the mode of I'm just sprinting as fast as I can, then, I mean, I can say I hate to break it to you, but you won't be sprinting for 12 years. I'd much rather have you understand that for yourself that you won't be able to sprint for 12 years. And so that's the kind of um, the question then that we ask on multiple levels. Um, again, so just to survive, like what pace do you need to do just to survive the, the entire period? What kind of pace do you need to sustain? And what do you actually need to do to come out more energized and more motivated after 12 years? And that's where we talk about thrive, right? So th those are different energy levels. And again, this is a topic that we discuss on the individual level, we discuss it on the team level, and we discuss it on the system. When I say system, I mean the business, the organization, the entire fund in that sense, or the entire company. So number one, intentions. Number two, sustain and thrive. And then number three is relationships. Right? Who are the key people around you that you really need to make sure you're aligned with 
then you really need to make sure not only you're aligned with factually in terms of interests, but you're really in tune with them. You also sense when there is something that's a bit off the um, intention that you initially set, the vibe is a little bit different um, because that's the early days when you need to catch things before they get really stressful and, and conflictual. Long answer, but this is how kind of the coaching engagements start. Um, that's how the kickoff looks like at the moment. I think that's super valuable for everyone listening. And also because as, as we started out saying, VCs love to help. <laughs> and to be honest, even though that there is this power dynamic where it's wise for founders sometimes to not open up entirely with their VCs, nonetheless, many VCs take on that role as the coach to founders. And, and as such, mm -hmm. I think it's, it's informative to hear how you actually go about then acting as a coach. I think it's great that VCs are um, are taking a coaching mindset. And last year, I offered a couple of just workshops to my VC friends or to the VC public in a way to pass on some of those coaching skills. It would be great if more VCs would use those skills. They just have to be aware that some of the things they will never hear and the misalignment of interest when it relates to the founder personally is in the way of some of the topics being put on the table. And that's fine as long as they're aware of that. I've recently spoken to a number of, of big funds for a project that I'm working on, and they're all like, you know, we don't even try to do that. We do the people advisory stuff. We help them hire. We help them design the organization. But when it comes to personal development, mostly we just forward them to people, to mentors, to therapists, to coaches, That's all they can do, and that's great. Nah, for sure. For sure, that's probably one of the better routes for many. <laughs> But Julius, we need to go to the quick fire now. As you know, this is a 30 to 60 second per question round. Are you ready for it? Yes, I'm ready. Julius, you speak to so many founders every day, so I have to ask you, what are the top three things that founders come to you about? Number one, I'm fighting with my co-founder, and I don't know even who to talk to, and I don't know how to talk to my co-founder. Number two... I'm incredibly overwhelmed every day of the week and especially over the weekend when I'm starting to think about the sheer immensity of the task that, I'm, that I signed up to and I need someone to help me zoom out. Three, I have a key decision to make leaving the company or like recommitting to the company or someone else is leaving the company and I don't know where to even start thinking about this because it feels like it's all interconnected and it's so complex. Nah, those are big problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And now, what's the most counterintuitive thing that you've learned since you started coaching for VC-backed founders? When I started in the venture industry and we would set up legal documents um, with the founders, I would always hear someone in the room say, look, and if we have to dissolve this company, we'll all look each other in the eye and we'll find a good solution. And I think it's bullshit. You need to be really anal with your agreements. Because once it comes to the point where you dissolve a company, it's very often because of conflict. And you won't be able to trust each other when you look each other in the eye and say, hey, let's find a good solution. No, the contract that you've made in the beginning is going to be the baseline for any agreement that you will come to. So make sure that you are happy with whatever is in the agreement. I've gone through founder breakups myself. And it hurts. 
it hurts because you know you're not able to just find an amicable solution because you may not be amicable anymore. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And now the final question, what can we expect in the future from Julius Bachmann? <laughs> well, I mean, coaching is a lot of fun, and I learn so much. I use coaching as a vehicle for my personal development, all of which um, I share on my blog. So um, if people want to tune into that, they can subscribe to my blog at juliusbachman.com. Um, I'm also building on the side. <laughs> um, I'm also building a consumer subscription company called Journey, J-R-N-Y.coach, um, with my co-founder, Julian, where we try to bring some of the methods and coaching to consumers and uh, to make it a bit more precise what we're doing. We're trying to help people align their time and attention with what really matters in their lives. And we're trying to bake that into a mobile app. The app is already live. We're in, in a closed beta phase now. And so whoever is interested in trying that out with us and is interested in the intersection of the productivity space and maybe the mindfulness space, which is where we're positioning ourselves at the intersection of, very happy for them to reach out and, and we'll onboard them into the beta. I believe you said journey, but it's J-R-N-Y. J-R, yeah, exactly. J-R-N-Y dot coach. Julius, thank you for joining us. It was good fun. Thank you very, very much for your time. I so enjoy listening to the podcast and I'm honored to be on it now. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. And don't forget, if you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, join our community and help make the best pod for everything European VC. And if you are about to raise a fund or an international round, do let us know and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors.